Hello and welcome to the Peter Mackay Motorsport Podcast. Thank you very much for tuning into this episode. Today I have a special guest on the show. I have the racing mentor, Jess Shanahan. Jess, welcome to the programme. Thank you very much. Now, tell us all about what the racing mentor uh, is about and how you got started with that. Yeah, of course. So I... um... I used to run a a Porsche race team um, in the in the Porsche Championship. We ran a 924, and when I was doing that, um, we were bringing in our own sponsorship. And I think my kind of marketing and sales background made it quite easy for me to do that. Mm-hmm. But as we were kind of getting more and more press coverage and having more and more guests and sponsors at you know these club races people were beginning to kind of ask questions like how how are we so well sponsored and I thought everybody could do this and I was quite naively thinking that you know if you're in most sport you have these skills but I realized that a lot of drivers were struggling for funds they were spending a lot of their own money and many really talented drivers were just not not able to race or not able to climb the ladder because they couldn't get sponsorship Mm-hmm. So I decided to start Racing Mentor to uh, teach those skills to drivers along with kind of branding and media as well as providing consultancy services to businesses as well. Um, so now I'm kind of known as the go-to person for sponsorship advice um, and courses, templates, etc. cetera, um, because I, I want to teach drivers those skills because although talent is important, Unfortunately, the industry just comes down to money. So if you can't raise sponsorship, you're never going to be able to have your your talent seen in the way that, that you might want. So I'm I'm hoping I'm starting to kind of make a difference in the industry uh, by you know teaching people those skills. And and what what are kind of the, the without giving away your 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 uh, your secrets? You know what are what are the kind of key factors that most that you find that most drivers struggle with to 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 to, to kind of get the funding they need. So uh, a lot don't focus on the on the sponsor. They talk too much about themselves. And while it's great to be you know a fast driver or an underdog or super passionate about motorsport, it doesn't make you stand out. So as well as looking at uh, you know a sponsor's goals and what they're trying to do with their marketing and how you can help them, drivers need to have a unique selling point or value proposition. In you know to use business terms, they need to have something that makes them stand out and makes them desirable to make a sponsor go, yep, I want to work with that driver, not, you know, one of the hundreds of other similar drivers out there. Mm-hmm. So they're like the two main things that I kind of see, but I think a lot of drivers also make excuses. They say, we can't do it, we can't make money, sponsorship's hard, and it's, it's a lot to kind of get over that mindset to start going, no, we can do this, we just have to put in the work and, you know, find find the right sponsors and establish ourselves in the right way. Um, and I think, I don't know, it's difficult. I, I want to have a lot of kind of tough love conversations with drivers a lot of the time because yeah. they'll, they'll make excuses and they'll complain about the state of the industry, but they won't actually do anything to, to kind of change it and put themselves forward. Yeah, yeah I, I, I totally hear what you're saying. It's, uh, it's, it's almost like you have to be almost slightly stubborn where you're not actually, even if the industry were tough, you're not. You're almost going to like say, "Well, I'm not even. I'm not going to, get, you know, give that the time of day. I'm gonna. I'm. I'm gonna bash on regardless." It's. You're right. It's a mindset thing, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And this is something I've started talking about a lot on social channels and on, on my blog and stuff because I, I can. I can teach this. Your head's not in the right place you're never going to really be able to get there or get your head around it so I think it's a you know an often overlooked part of any kind of training is, is just you know focus on where you want to be and put in the work to get there and don't get distracted by outside you know stuff yeah and then not not so much the sunglasses and hair gel as they say not <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> and you actually wrote you wrote a, a book which is you know it's been been uh you know, it's big to high acclaim, and many people are saying it's the sponsorship bible. It's called "Get Paid to Race." Tell us about that process. How how was all that? So I, I realised that you know, as well as there being a need for loads of free content that I put on my blog and the videos that I do on YouTube, people needed a physical thing that they could take with them. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to distill all of the information down into just one book. So if people don't want to go searching around a blog or looking for my videos, it's all there in one place. Um, and I originally intended it just to be an ebook, just something like kind of uh, almost secondary to everything else I did. But as I was writing and as I was speaking to people, I realized that there was a massive need for this, this kind of physical, you know, ultimate guide slash sponsorship Bible. And I love that people call it that. Um, so it kind of, it just kind of came from speaking to my audience and asking what, what they wanted. And, um, it, it's just kind of elevated the brand so much and has helped me reach, you know, people all over the world, it, it, like every continent apart from Antarctica now has a, you know, a copy of the book somewhere. So that, that's really exciting. And, um, again, you know, I, I think it's really starting to help people, you know, build those skills and get on track when they may not have been able to otherwise. And are you getting feedback from drivers who have, who have or families that have read the book and are and have had success off the back of it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there, there are drivers who have gone from karting to reading the book to doing high level like Toka support series. Wow. Um, so and you know drivers that uh, they had started building a car but ran out of money, but now they're able to race. Um, drivers that uh they'd previously been funding their racing themselves but were but were running out of money and had to kind of felt the pressure to go get sponsorship rather than bankrupting bankrupting themselves so um there's there's so many success stories out there and you know i try and film testimonials with people that have read the book and have found success with it so there are a few of those on youtube as well um, but it, it's just so nice to hear from people around the world who have who have found success with it. Oh, fantastic! And the um, you know you the, along with the kind of relentless hard work that's that's so necessary to to make it in motorsport. Having a mentor to support always helps. I mean, I know that you play mentor to a lot of a lot of racing drivers, but who's been your most influential kind of mentor or? Um, uh, influence in in motorsport would you say i mean there's been quite a few there's there's people that i worked with when i was um a, a journalist um so i i worked with um an incredible couple who run a pr agency that i worked with um very very early in my career laura and tim james and they taught me so much about you know being a writer and developing my own brand and you know the PR side of things as well and I think that's where a lot of my skills and sponsorship came but you know working with people like Rebecca Jackson, Gavin Johnson, Pip Hammond like all in my my early career they definitely kind of pushed me in the right direction and and gave me the the inspiration I needed to kind of start racing mentor and start you know putting myself out there to help people with the knowledge that I picked up from you know 15 odd years in marketing and PR and and where did the um where did the love of 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 cars and racing come from you say you come from you know fashion fashion background and marketing and and PR and all that kind of stuff but where did where, where did racing and motorsport come into it for you so I think at the very base level, my love of cars comes from my love of driving. So yes. when I was working for that PR agency, I was driving 30 miles a day on amazing kind of B roads in Norfolk. And um, I was just in a, you know, one of those newer shaped Fiat Puntos. So it was nothing exciting. But the more I did that drive listening to loud music, the more I realized <laughs> I actually really loved cars. And I did a few kind of car based you know track events and went to some you know press shows and things about cars and eventually started my own car blog called turn eight mm-hmm. um and it all just kind of developed from there my my partner is really into formula one so i started watching that with him probably back in 2007 2008 mm-hmm. um I instantly became obsessed and then like the two sides of my interests of Formula One and driving kind of came together and it all just exploded and you know I I became a Formula One journalist pretty quickly after that after I started my own business Um, and I was doing stuff on TalkSport and you know going to races and doing stuff more generally in club sport and British motorsport as well Um, and I just kind of ran with it and ever since I've kind of been um, I guess self-employed I've, I've done things that are 
you know, where my interests lie. And that just mm-hmm. happened to be cars. So I then started test driving cars to become kind of a, a, a motoring journalist. And that, again, that escalated. And it all just kind of built. But I'm not like one of those people that comes from a family background that was really into motorsport cars because none of my family indeed are or, or were when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it's, it's fascinating. It seems like your um, whatever you set your mind to, your progression through seems rapid. <laughs> um, yeah. It's like you think you know, start watching Formula One 2007, 2008, and before too long you're you're out reporting on it. And of, of course that, tell us about how, tell us about how you're able to, to, to kind of make such quick progress in, in whatever you seem to, to, to put your mind to. So I think I have a, a natural knack for this, but it's certainly a learned behavior in that it, I, I believe that anyone, if they put their mind to something can do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. And again, this kind of goes back to the mindset thing of drivers that I'm trying to to kind of instill the, these lessons in them. But um, I'm a planner and I'm a goal setter. And generally, if I set a goal, I'll get there. So um, my one, I think I had a, a, a five-year goal a few years ago um, of to be on a yacht to do with some kind of car thing. Mm-hmm. So, and, and in my head, that was maybe like a yacht of Monaco for a race event. But I, I ended up on a yacht with Arbath for a lot, a yacht launch, which was incredible. Like, oh, wow. I, I didn't think I'd ever be the kind of person to go to the, the launch of a yacht. Um, so that was really cool. And they, they flew me out to Italy and I was drinking Prosecco on this yacht and then hanging out by the harbor with loads of amazing car people and looking at Arbaths. And yeah, it was just incredible. So I set goals like that, but you know I have monetary goals and business goals, but then I also have these these lifestyle goals, which is the thing I can visualize and that I can focus on. And I think that's really important because when I set that goal, there is no doubt in my mind that that is where I'm going to be in five years or wherever. So I can see myself sipping and you know si- sipping champagne on a yacht, um, and then I know I'll get there. So I, I set goals like that. And I think that's really important for mindset. Um, but it is something that people can learn but it does take a lot of hard work and a lot of focus and you need to have good people around you to kind of cheer you on at the same time oh, oh no, no, absolutely no question about it i think if uh, you know and especially when it's a, a goal that inevitably requires you know you've got to make big sacrifices with your time with your energy with your travel etc you, you 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 have to have 100 percent support around you don't you there's not nothing worse when you're trying to achieve something if you've not if there's someone in your kind of inner circle who's not behind that goal I guess yeah absolutely and I always think of that um that kind of phrase or quote that is you are the average of the people that you spend the most time with mm-hmm. um so I, there is no place in my life for people that you know say things like you can't do it or that's a silly goal or anything like that I only have people in my life who are like well I can't wait to see you there and here is some support and this is how I can help you. That That's kind of my friendship group and indeed the, the kind of people that I hang around with in, in motorsport and in business as well. I, I com, com, completely agree with you. It just gives, it makes all, all the difference. Well, we've, you've, you've obviously achieved so many ambitions and, you know, on standing on a yacht, sipping, sipping Prosecco. What's the next ambition? What's, I'm sure that the, the ambitions get reset all the time. What, what's, what's next for you, do you think? I've got I've got a few so I would love to run a race team again mm-hmm. and I love the idea of having a few cars that represent you know like obvious steps in the motorsport ladder mm-hmm. um, it's just uh, or, uh, other than money which I'm sure I could ha- like sort out with you know the correct sponsorship but the, the biggest thing there is just finding the people to kind of run that for me mm-hmm. um, so that that's a goal for maybe in a, a few years time but the the kind of the immediate one is and it, it's kind of been you know it's fallen by the wayside a bit because of the whole pandemic thing that's going on but this year i was supposed to employ my first employee mm-hmm. um and she, she's a face that many people will have seen if they've been to any racing mentor events my friend rose she was going to come on full time 
and um, that that should have all been going ahead now, but it, it obviously been put on hold a little bit. But that that was the next big goal is to kind of expand racing mentor and have someone in the business to help me full time to create content to to organize more live events to make sure I'm filming videos and generally keep me organized. Um, but kind of be, beyond all that, uh, I'm kind of excited to see where things will go. I do have one really kind of like silly dream goal that. Uh, I know it will happen one day, but it's a bit kind of out there. I really want to have like a racing mental van that I can take to different Ooh. race events and yes. have it as like a, yeah, as a mobile coaching studio or something like that. So, um, and I, I, I know what it'll look like. I can, I can picture it. It's going to be, um, matte purple, the color of the, the front cover of the book with the, the gloss green that's mm -hmm. on the book as well. So it's like and, um, a reverse mystery machine then kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, with a big racing mental logo, and I, I can't stop thinking about that. And I've even been looking at how to convert vans to be like really swish little campers and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, that my, my morning kind of visualization I do is all about vans at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> what 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 brand of, of of van will it have to be? I don't know. I haven't really thought that far. I love I love a transporter, so something like maybe a T five. And I, I drove one of those recently when I was carting some gear around to events. Um, but I like the idea of a sprinter, maybe even a small transit, or actually one of the um, the M Sport vans. I they really are like cool, those. aren't they? They are tricks. Yeah. Yes. And and the fact that I could just get one that is like the right level of just a bit like you know lowered and with some lights and some nice sills and lots of like you know stitching and stickers and things like that um but you know realistically i'd probably be getting something second hand that i could be making look a bit a bit fancy with a nice wrap and you know some interior diy uh, oh I, I, absolutely i i'd say i i think i'd be a, a caddy man i had a cad a vw caddy for Oh, for now, I, I drove it for about six years from new, and I just um, it, on some of the roads around here as well. I went to, I would go to visit all my customers in it, and it was uh, it was quite an upgrade from the transit that I had before. That I had a, a mm. high top transit where I would I would go. For, I always wear a suit and tie when I'm going to see my customers, and um, when you turn up in a high top transit and a suit and tie, <laughs> you you always get some strange. <laughs> Looks, but I think my customers could have felt sorry for me because it was quite. It's, it actually, everyone else was turning up in you know company cars, BMWs, and Audis and stuff like that. And here's Peter in his van, and I think they took pity on me actually. <laughs> <laughs> then it meant I could have whatever I wanted at home, which was the main thing. So I could have a, I could yeah. have a petrol guzzling car at home, which was which was which was good. <laughs> yeah, now, I, I'm go I'm I'm getting to that stage now where I'm I'm, I'm maybe it's because I haven't driven for ages, but I've, I obviously love my R bath, but I need something else so i'm thinking about the next car but then i'm also thinking about a fun car to go with that then a van i'm gonna need a bigger house with a bigger drive before before long <laughs> are you one of these people that sits on the um configurators for hours on end so oh I yeah I am, that definitely. and just like scrolling through auto trader or scrolling through like classic car ads going oh yeah i'd like one of those so i think my my list of I would likes is very very long now. It, it, I I um I, I'm glad I'm not the only one. I think I don't know if you're really a, a petrol head unless you sit spend more time than you probably should on piston heads or auto trader or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so part of your part of your role in in motion journalism, you got to drive a lot of a lot of different cars. But um, I noticed of of late the uh, electric vehicles has been a big part of your work, which is a, a category. I mean, I'm a diehard petrol head, but I find what can be done with uh, EVs very exciting. Um, but I want to kind of relate it back to motorsport. You you you've got a good exposure of both parts. How do you think that it, you know? We, it's it's clear that electronic vehicles or electronic propulsion of some sort has to be integrated into motorsport, but how do we keep? How do you think we introduce EVs into motorsport, but also keeping all the stakeholders like the fans, the teams, the manufacturers all kind of engaged at once? It's quite a puzzle to, to work out. What what do mm. you think? So I think we'll probably be seeing more and more vehicles introduced to um, to standard racing series that have either hybrid or full electric powertrains, and we are already kind of seeing that. Mm -hmm. And I, I think 
there needs to be that soft introduction. Otherwise, fans especially will not accept it. I mean, you just look at how angry people get about Formula E. Yes. Um, and Formula E is great, provides some great racing, but obviously it's very different to Formula One, but people still try and compare the two. Um, but I think, you know, that kind of, I think that this interim period before like a full switch over, and I don't know if there will be a full switch over, I think we'll always have historic, you know, internal combustion engine car mm-hmm. racing. Um, but before there's a, a switch over of those kind of high level motorsports, there needs to be something done to change perception. And so whether that is just the improvement of technology, um, so the cars, you know, I mean, like in Formula E now, they've gone from having to swap cars to not having swapped, not having to swap cars. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really, really big thing for for electric motorsport because it's it's a lot less gimmicky for the cars to run, you know, a full a full race without yeah. without having a swap. So I think I think that kind of thing is important, but also seeing more more hybrid powertrains coming in. And obviously I know um, Formula One has been doing that for, for a long time now, but I think there's still more that can be done to improve efficiency of engines and efficiency of powertrains and at those top levels of motorsport, that's definitely going to happen because it's all manufacturer led. And so many manufacturers are, are focusing their, their efforts on electric, which is why we see you know, so many are, are pulling out of top level motorsport to go somewhere else because they know that they can develop electric powertrains better in, you know, Formula E, for example, than they would be able to in another series. And how, how do you, I think you're absolutely right, how do you think is that, and the other kind of conundrum is there's, there's a lot of racing series nowadays that are, have been around for a long time that are completely dependent on um, independent entries or customer entries or what have you. Like for even like you look at how successful GT3 racing is around the world, but actually that's customer-led rather than manufacturer entries. Mm. And the, obviously, probably the best example would be the British Touring Car Championship, which is about to go hybrid. Uh, you know, and of course for independent entries who have to raise, well, as you know, have to raise pr- finance privately to to run those. I mean, how do how how do how how do you think they they go forward to kind of keep the the kind of traditional race teams involved in, in motorsport as the hybrid comes in yeah it's tricky and i do think there will be some people that lose out mm-hmm. um but you know as as these technologies become more prevalent in certain series the cost of them will come down and more cars will become available later on that you know have have that technology and can race in those series whatever it might be whether it's touring cars or something else um but i i I'm, i think and i hope a lot of series will be quite they'll be quite flexible so they'll allow you know the new technology cars to come in and run separate maybe categories for um you know a slightly you know the old school technology that's not hybrid for example or not electric um so there'll be this kind of blended crossover period where everyone kind of gets used to the, the new normal yeah or oh, that's 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 another that's another term I, I try to i try not to to think about we were talking before we came <laughs> on the call about avoiding the actually saying oh the new normal it's like everyone's gonna have to walk about with a with a with a mask and gloves on <laughs> yeah i try to avoid it avoid it in that context <laughs> absolutely <laughs> we, have, we have a swear jar in our house for uh, the c word as it's now known <laughs> 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 now the um what 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 shall we talk about next? Now I noticed that you're working on a new book on imposter syndrome, which is something that uh, I find fascinating, particularly for me. You know, I've come from, you know, I've I've come from working in the Scot. I still work in the Scotch whisky industry, and I was lucky that I was kind of given a an opportunity to come in and work in the industry by by way of working in a family firm and working for my father had been in the industry for such a long time and was a known figure and stuff. Um, but the coming into motorsport, which has been my kind of passion for since I was a little boy, the impo- there is this kind of thing about um, imposter syndrome and do you belong and, and stuff like that. Tell us about that project and, and, and what you've discovered so far and what you've learned while working on that book. Yeah, so I, I used to really struggle, struggle with I- imposter syndrome and it still kind of 
you know, it'll it'll poke its head above the surface occasionally, even now. Mm-hmm. But I, I worked through it for myself for, you know, being a woman in business, being a woman in motorsport, mm-hmm. just being someone in motorsport that didn't have a huge kind of like family motorsport background. Mm-hmm. So I, I had to overcome a lot of that myself. And while people are talking about it more and more now, I still don't think it's something that's that's properly addressed. So I wanted to write a really practical book that not not only kind of helps people understand where their imposter syndrome comes from, but it's full of exercises and techniques and tools that they can use on a day-to-day basis to, you know, either deal with imposter syndrome and, you know, what I call the voice, which is the thing that's saying you're a fraud, you don't belong here, all of that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. How to deal with the voice as it kind of pops up but also the the kind of the things that you can do on an ongoing basis to to slowly help yourself kind of knock this on the head so it doesn't rear its ugly head as often as maybe it once would have done and you know they're they're exactly the techniques that that i've used and what i found success with but also um as well as all the motorsport stuff i'm i'm a life coach and i've used this with uh, a lot of of my clients Mm -hmm. and um I, I again, just like the, with the book Get Paid to Race, I wanted to write something that was a that was a guide that people could kind of carry with them that could help them on an ongoing basis. Yeah, so that they, you know, and I guess would you say that you know for for those that perhaps are maybe listening who are, who are stru- who are struggling with it, one of the best ways is to is to to be able to if you know that you're that you that you're good at something is is to basically to display your your talent or display your abilities as much as as much as you can to not so much to convince other people but to convince yourself almost yeah and there's this weird thing that humans do is that we place a lot more weight and importance on the bad things that happen to us than Mm -hmm. we do the good things yeah so for example you know we're going we're going to see a, a negative comment as much more true than maybe 20 great comments Mm-hmm. So it's all about kind of changing again mindset to focus on the those good things being as equal if not more important than those small bad things. Um, so I always encourage people every time they get a compliment, a good review of something that they've done, anything like that, write it down, print it out, take a photo, and put it in like a a folder on your phone, a folder on your computer, or a physical like little jar. And go back to them. Whenever you're feeling like an imposter, go back to those, you know, those good things that people have said about you. And I do this. I screenshot every single review of my book or email that I get about the book or what Racing Mental's done. I screenshot it and it's on my phone so I can go back through those, you know, anytime that I need a bit of a boost. Just to remind yourself that you're 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 are you're in the right place and you've uh, and you're here for a reason and you've kind of built you've worked hard to be in that position, I guess. Yeah, exactly. And and for me, certainly, it's it's knowing that my work has helped people. Yes. Um, because, you know, I, I get the odd, you know, negative comment of people, you know, complaining about the, the, the endless positivity that I give out and how it's, you know, I don't know what they say, but I try to ignore them. But to to go from people that are not enjoying what I do, sometimes that makes me really hurt. I'm like, oh, there's no point and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but then to go back to one or two reviews that have said, I am now living my dream life because of what you've taught me makes it all worth it. And if I can just do that for like one or two people a year, it's worth it. But as it happens, it's a lot more than that. So it's so nice to kind of go back to those things. And I think no matter what you're doing or what industry you're in, just knowing that your work has been appreciated or that someone's enjoyed it or learned something is is so beneficial to kind of realizing that you do belong and, and you're not a fraud and you're not about to get found out and that you are, you know, doing the right thing for you. You are. And what, what, what strikes me, Jess, is that for you, would you say that one of your biggest, if not the biggest motivation for what you want to achieve is the impact it would have on others? Would that be fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. Without a doubt. I, uh, the whole reason I did this is because I was so sad to see people unable to race because they didn't have the funds to, you know, move up the ladder, even though they were talented. Um, and I found that so frustrating. And I know, so to, just to know that I've had some impact there, or I'm doing something to, you know, change perceptions in the industry even just a little bit is, is really worth it for me. 
Mm-hmm. No, I, 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 I totally agree with you. And one thing that's um, you'll you'll have a, 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 a I'm sure have a, a really good, interesting point of view on this. I was out at the the Rolex Twenty Four at Daytona on in January, and I, uh, I I really really wanted. She was first on my list uh, to interview was Catherine Leg, um, mm. who's um, been in the racing world a long a long time and achieved an awful lot. And she's leading a, an all female team in the the cool. Have you seen the livery of their car, the Lamborghini? I don't think I have. Oh, you you must you must look it up. It's called Gear Racing G, uh, Gear Racing Lamborghini, and it is it is super cool. And it's um, but yeah, they're they're leading through the FIA Women in Motorsport. They're they've got an all female mm. team in IMSA this year uh, 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 as well. Um, do you do you see the kind of tides changing now and seeing more opportunities for uh, women to get involved in motorsport, particularly behind the wheel? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, great initiatives like all female teams, um, even even like the W series, just making women more visible in mm-hmm. motorsport yeah. is important because then anyone the you know, any um girls or young women who, who look at motorsport and go, I can't do that, it's it's for it's for guys, they're gonna see more of these women in all sorts of roles mm-hmm. and think, Oh what, this is for me. And I think that's what we've missed for so many years. So I certainly do think, yeah, the tide is changing. And, you know, all of those um, girls out there and, and young female racers out there who are starting to go, oh, actually, I might try this. I might go karting or I might do some autographs or, you know, I might go along to my, my local club race and see, see what's, what's the deal there. I think it's, it's so important. And, and you know, there's um, a great blog, Females in Motorsport, which is run by good friend of mine Helena and she is documenting all of these wonderful women in motorsport and Mm -hmm. you know uh, all the different roles from you know racing drivers and engineers through to operations and and you know people like me as well doing those kind of like side roles so um yeah, I think we're we're definitely just gonna we're only gonna see more and more women coming into it. We're getting it. We're we're going in we're going in the right direction. I think with the with the yeah. W series as well. I think it provides uh, provides an opportunity. I mean, if you can get, I can't remember how many people are in the W series. About twenty, something like that. Yeah. Um, the the fact that I, the fact that you can have twenty people, either male or female, getting uh, a look in at. Uh, an opportunity, a paid oper- or a, at least a paid for opportunity in motorsport. I think, regardless, it's better to have that there than not. Um, just yeah. to have twenty people, whether they're male or female or otherwise. But of course, uh, it's. I think it's. Um, but like you say, it's a visibility thing, isn't it? Because it's it's mm-hmm. on Channel Four. It's on free to air television. So yeah. people can. A lot of people, you know, especially at a younger age when you're impressionable. But you you come across things by accident almost a lot of the time if you haven't got a parent to show you. I mean, for me, I was, it was my mum who got me into racing in cars. Um, you know, she uh, plonked me down in front of the TV when Colin McRae won the World Rally Championship in 1995. And that was me hooked. I know that's 25 years ago, but that was me hooked. And, <laughs> you know, and that's, it's yeah. amazing how impressionable you are <laughs> as, a, as, a, a, as a child. And um, so, no, I think it's a, it's a great job what the, the girls are doing. And, and I think I would, what I would also stress as well, I think you very, very rarely hear it now. Um, but you not all that long ago, you would say that, oh, you know, f- females don't have the physical strength, which I think is complete nonsense. And funnily enough, when I interviewed Catherine Legg, she was t- I asked her about when she first drove a champ car in 2006. Mm. And those things were renowned as absolute animals. And she said, mm-hmm. and she was very honest. She said, she said, honestly, uh, she says I did eight laps and I came in and I was like, this is impossible. I can't, I can't do this. And she, she said, I was in the toilet with a Snickers bar and a Gatorade looking at myself thinking how, but she just dug deep and she said, I went to the gym twice a day. And when I, when I, when the season began, there was nobody who I said, I was the, I was the fittest person in the, in the field. Um, mm. So I, I, anyone thinking that it's, uh, that there's a, a, a physical barrier would be wrong I would say yeah and I think even if that you know there are physical differences between men and women but I think in motorsport it's not something that is such a wide gulf that mm-hmm. it means that that women can't compete against men and like and Catherine Legg is a perfect example like even if women do have um 
less muscle mass, for example, it's something that still can be trained. Mm-hmm. So just because a, a woman has to be X percent more fit than you know the, the next man doesn't mean that she can't compete. It's just it's just a case of training in the right way, and you know, um, and you can get there. No, I I I I completely agree. I think that the main thing is is that it's as long as the opportunities exist. Uh, it's all at the end of the day. It's all about the visibilities and the opportunities, and whether you're male or female, it's that. That's the one thing about racing is is that you have the stopwatch to tell, to tell the truth. <laughs> yeah. You're, yeah. You're quick enough, the stopwatch will 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 say so. Tell, looking back a bit, what's been your favourite experience in your time in motorsport? Would you say, Jess? Oh, there have been quite a few. I mean, the, the, one of the more recent ones is uh, April last year, I went to Portugal and I hosted my first ever Get Paid to Race workshop. Mm-hmm. So a day, well, half a day long workshop um, based on the book, teaching um, drivers from a couple of different championship series um, in Portugal mm-hmm. um, with, you know, 95% of them being Portuguese. And it, it was so good because not only was I teaching in like an incredible environment and it was my first, you know, half day workshop that I'd done based on the book, but also um, I got to spend the, the, the weekend at Estoril. I got to hang out with all the drivers afterwards and, you know, I got to go walk on the beach and, you know, do all the nice things that, mm-hmm. that Portugal offers in in April. So it was nice and warm and sunny and because I, I love traveling, it was just such a nice way of blending you know the, these two loves of, of motorsport and uh, and travel and, and you know third love of you know business and hosting workshops and things too um so that that's definitely a highlight but then i've done some really cool stuff like um i've dri- driven on track at goodwood um in bmws i've been able to interview cool people like alex nardi uh there, there's been so many highlights but I think the thing that I still love more than anything is just getting out and about and meeting people. Yes, it's it's that sort of and, and people who, because of course it's not like it's not like being into football where you'll come across somebody to chat about football in every corner. Motorsports a little bit more niche, I find. I always find that I I run the risk of boring people if you talk about motorsport too much in in company. <laughs> Yeah, like if you if I just hear like you know random people just mention, oh, did you see the F one? And I'm there like going, oh, let me tell you everything I know about F one. And they're like, <laughs> no, we we we're just here to watch Lewis Hamilton win. And I'm like, but 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 what about this thing that happened or this or this new regulation or what about this like edge of a wing that is quite controversial? And they're like, no, no, please don't. <laughs> I, 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 I feel your pain there. It's nice to be amongst. Uh, it's a bit like it's a bit. I guess it's a bit like going to like an AA meeting. Like you just stand up and say hello. I'm a I'm a motorsport nerd, but you're all in a safe place. I think this is why when I do racing mentor events or like if I go to Autosport or Motorsport Days Live, why there are so many people kind of on the stand because they know that no matter what what motorsport they're into, what they race. They'll they'll know that I have knowledge of it and can talk yeah. to them for for hours about it. So um, this is this is why I'm employing my friend Rose because she's very good at you know if I'm getting into a heated discussion about Formula E or something, she can drag me away and be like, you need to sell a book or you need to go do some coaching or there's some networking to do. And like rather than just talking about race cars with no kind of end in sight. <laughs> <laughs> I think we we should all be allowed at least a little bit. We should all be allowed to indulge ourselves a little bit with that. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us about you were saying you do a lot of a lot of you love travel and love road trips as well. What's been the most memorable road trip of of all of them you've done? So I think just for the sheer scale of it, it has to be the Route Fifty Seven road trip, which okay. was um, that's I, I that was th- two and a half thousand maybe three and a half thousand miles over three weeks through all of the UK and Ireland in an electric car. Uh-huh. Um, and it was done to promote something that the hol- the holiday uh, the hotel company Jury's Inns created, which is called Route Fifty Seven. So mm-hmm. it's like fifty seven of the best stops in the UK and Ireland. Um, but it it was it was exhausting and it was tough because we were drive well I was driving for about eight hours a day mm-hmm. um, with lo- obviously with lots of charging stops and stops to meet mayors and go on TV and 
it, it was a really, really big project. So I think that's probably the most memorable just because of just how huge it was. Um, but the, probably the best road trip I've been on is um, I went around Texas in a Corvette in 2016, um, including going to the the Grand Prix there at the Circuit of the Americas. Um, and it, it was just a phenomenal car. And we didn't even do that many miles. We drove from Houston to Austin to Houston or some, some kind of combination of that and then around a bit just to try out some roads and drive the car. Um, but it, it was just an incredible car and it had, it was track spec as well. So it had, um, a track mode, which I, I had way too much fun with on highways. Um, it's very Larry when you put your foot down. Um, and I'm not used to rear wheel drive either. So I had a lot of fun with that. Um, I am now very well acquainted with powerful rear wheel drive cars. Um, because I had to be, because that thing is, un- you, you can't drive it in the way that I would say drive a hot hatch here. Yes. Uh-huh. Cause I, I'm so used to just putting my foot down. You'll know this kind of yeah. going the other way from, from rear wheel drive to front wheel drive, but I'm so used to just putting my foot down the amount of times I was like fishtailing down, you know, slip roads and going, I need to like work out what I'm doing here. Remembered everything that I've learned from speaking to racing drivers and watching rear wheel drive cars over the years. I was like, no, gently. <laughs> um, but I had, I had so much fun with it. I learned so much from, from driving that car and it was just incredible. And with a little Targa roof as well. So I got heat stroke quite badly from that. I shouldn't be allowed outside really. But oh, you have to live the full dream. The the the, the convertible Corvette in Texas. Mm. That's, that's, oh, that, that is fantastic. It was wonderful. Funnily enough, I've got um, in October. I'm due to go over to um, Road Atlanta for Petit Le Mans, and lovely staying, up, staying on for a day or two to go to the Roval 600. I'm not a massive NASCAR person, so I thought I'd go to one of the road cars road car mm-hmm. um sorry road circuit event um which the roval is and it's in charlotte and, and uh, i've got a pickup truck as my hire car and it's about a month before nice. the american election so it's going to be more of a louis through documentary than a, <laughs> than a race trip i think being in yeah, well, that part of the world I, you know, that yeah i was supposed to do um east no west coast um in june <laughs> we hadn't chosen a car yet but it was going to be like a let's just do rural America and go hiking. We ha- we're going to do like all the national parks. Um, but I think it's going to have to be next year now, but it's trying to, I've been trying to work out what car I want from, for that. Like, cause obviously the, you know, the whole West coast road trip thing is usually a muscle car, but I feel like I'd, I would love a pickup. The pickup trucks are so cool. And like, they think we have big pickup trucks here. The pickup trucks in America always blow my mind how just enormous they are. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, one of my kind of jobs in in my day to day kind of motorsport writing is writing about American cars or editing articles about American cars. Mm-hmm. So I'm just obsessed with you know I just want to drive a you know a big pickup and just experience that. But I think I'd get tired of it pretty quickly, and I'd want to go back to um, a muscle car, which is probably where I feel most comfortable. Right. What would be the what would be the ultimate muscle car for you? Oh, so I, I really love a Ford Mustang, and I, I drove one of the the V8 versions here, and I just loved it. But I'd like to go, you know, something a bit silly and like one of the, you know, the Dodge Charger maybe, or um, something like that. Something that I haven't tried that we can't really get here in the same way. Um, but maybe one of those. Um, really kind of high performance trims that has something like 800 horsepower but i think if i struggled with fishtailing a corvette up and down texas i probably wouldn't be able to cope with that many horses <laughs> i love that the challenger that's the way i love the the, the latest challenger is it what's it called yeah. hellcat yeah one, one, yeah. Of, one of those is oh they are they are cool they are they are very very cool and they're just a completely different to but the thing is equally love uh super light you know hot hatchback as well i think that in the uk you could we i don't think we could live in a better country in the world for hot hatchbacks than we do mm, yeah i i think that's only to make up for the fact that we don't have roads big enough for muscle cars though <laughs> now talking about talking about placing things on the road while i was doing my research i watched uh, one of the clips on your website 
where you were on um morning this morning on on national television <laughs> do you know what i'm about to say now uh, I, I can guess, guess yeah you could guess where you, you had to go on and try and not lose your temper of, of having to comment about if women should be given larger parking spaces i thought am i am i actually watching this is this actually <laughs> tell us yeah. about that experience from your from your point of view uh, it, it, it was, was a, a weird, weird experience. experience. Like, <laughs> it was probably, probably like, like for, for, for time spent the best paid job I've ever done. done. Um, <laughs> but it, it was it was quite it was quite fun. Like the the lady who was arguing for like female parking bays that were wider, she was quite casual about it. She's like, I'm, I don't care. Like you know, they, they sound like a good idea. I'm a terrible driver. I was like, okay, cool. So maybe we need you know. Part, larger parking spaces for everyone who doesn't spaces. feel comfortable. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it was, it was just such a surreal experience. Because I got the call to do it, like, the night before at, like, 7 p.m. And they were like, yeah, yeah, we'll get you down to London now. I'm like, I'm two hours away from London. They're like, that's okay, book a train. Or we'll book you a train, we'll book you a hotel. And then you can come on in, in the morning. So, yeah, I got my hair and makeup done. And then, yeah, it was literally, like, four minutes you know in front of the camera talking about this and then off i was you know it was before even 9 a.m before i was like right what do i do for the rest day rest of the day in london um but yeah it, it wasn't something that i could get particularly angry about but it, it was really nice to you know then go on to all of the the press like later that day or the next day going um journalist Jeff Shanahan makes great points about why we shouldn't have these parking bays and like no one was ever saying that we should it's not like I was making a groundbreaking point that we just shouldn't have them that's yeah it was never even a question it was just one of those really I guess it's like clickbait for tv isn't it but it, it was so much fun and I would you know I've, I've done quite a lot of stuff like that but that's yeah ITV is definitely the biggest one well, I think you, um, I think you carried yourself incredibly well because uh, I, I can imagine if you go, oh, this is cool and everything, but what a stupid discussion to have. I know, yeah. <laughs> like I just kind of wanted to sit there and just go, no, no, no. terrible idea. No, nope. I'm not going to give you anything else because just no, there is nothing to say other than no. <laughs> I'm not going to warrant this discussion with any comment whatsoever. <laughs> no. <laughs> Now, one of the last questions I have is, you, you help a lot of drivers, you know, getting getting up the ladder and helping them get sponsorship and helping them how to, to go out and get their own sponsorship. Who is out there who isn't getting the opportunities? Who, who comes to your mind first when you're thinking, oh, if they could just get a break, they, they, they'll do things. Who, who, who is that name? Oh, that's a difficult question. Hmm. I think some of the drivers who are who were in W Series last year, like Alice Powell, mm-hmm. I think she she's a good example of someone who is just a great driver, mm-hmm. but but hasn't really been able to to get anywhere. And actually, it's always female drivers that that come to mind. Mm-hmm. Um, Jade Edwards as well. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. she's, I feel like she's done so much to kind of put herself out there and has done some kind of great sponsorship deals for people yeah. in terms of like her nine for nine thing, yes. but still never really seemed to get anywhere with it. And I don't, I don't know her and I don't know her story and what she's offering well enough to, to comment on why, but you know, it, it's frustrating to me that there are these drivers who have, you know, good fan bases. So, and therefore you think of, you know, something great to offer to sponsors, yet they're still not getting anywhere. You look at somebody like Abby, I, I, Abby Eaton. I, I interviewed mm. her at the Autosport show, and uh, you know she, um, you know she, she, she's got I think it's, she's got an enormous social media following, which yeah. I guess a lot of that has come from. And then she's got her opportunity in the W Series, and I hope whatever comes of the coronavirus, she'll still get her whole season's opportunity from it. Yeah, I'm not sure how they're going to manage that, but. Uh, Hope so, um, but do you know what? she's actually funny enough? Her and Jade, from what I see on Instagram, anyway, they're both they're both um, courier like van drivers. So if they're paid by the yeah. drop, they'll be they'll be doing well. They'll be the fastest uh, courier drivers in, yeah. in the country. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, there actually, are so many drivers out there that you know I see on social media who are not begging for sponsorship, but they're 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 talking about how they need sponsorship to go racing. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of just, it, I don't know, it just frustrates me. This is like the story of my life. It just frustrates me that they feel the need to do that and that they don't have either the support team or, or the knowledge maybe um, or even the time for a lot of people to, to kind of go out there and secure this stuff. Yeah. Um, because I see equally other drivers who just pick up sponsorship left, right, and center with what seems like very little effort. And I, I say seems like it's just because they're not talking about how much effort is it is on um, social media. But you know, there's drivers that I work with that, you know, I, I'll get a text from them like every other day, going just just about to have another meeting, or I've just had a, a great uh, conversation, or I've just picked up a new sponsor, or ITV wants to interview me, and it's constant. Um, so I, I, I don't know what the difference is between these drivers, whether it's just, just that one has, uh, you know, a certain value proposition that's, that's better than another. Is it work ethic? Is it mindset? Do they believe in themselves more? I'm still trying to kind of work out what it is that sets, you know, drivers who struggle apart from, from drivers that just seem to continually succeed. That's the next chapter in the book once that's, yeah. once that's... <laughs> Well, I am working on a second edition that is going to include a whole section on on mindset because I I've, it's not it's touched on a bit in in the book as it is, but it needs to be it needs to be kind of more front and centre because it is something that everyone struggles with. Oh, I, I I think so. It's it's uh, what I've found is although I'm I'm not wanting to get well, of course I'd love to be behind the wheel, but my ability behind the wheel certainly puts that to bed very quickly but for me with with the commentary side of things it's um i find i mean i i love um kind of autobiography based stuff anyway but particularly there's so many brilliant podcasts out there where drivers are interviewed and they kind of tell their life story and i um i always see exactly the same theme you know if it's somebody that if it's somebody well known i'll always tune into that sort of podcast to hear what their story mm. was and absolutely every single one of them, they are just, they're dri- driving determination are two very woolly terms, but they just do not take no for an answer. And some of the yeah. the lengths that they'll go to are always longer than the regular person, I would say. When you'd think, I always take um, Jason Plato's, J- Jason Plato's book is hilarious, actually. I don't know if you've read it, but... Uh, I it's, haven't. It's, it's, it's on my list to read. Do you know what I could recommend is is to download the audiobook instead because it's him reading it and it's oh perfect. Oh, I nearly crash the car laughing sometimes. He's a, <laughs> he's a naughty boy, Jason. Yeah. <laughs> and um, his I love the story about how he got told in no uncertain terms he wasn't getting a drive with uh, Williams in the Renault Laguna in um, British Touring Car Championship, and after about a week of lying in bed, he thought, no, stuff this, and he drove to. Williams headquarters and actually waited there for three hours and then ambushed Frank Williams as he arrived and that got him in for five minutes and and that got him the drive in the end yeah see sometimes yeah. you gotta do completely silly things like that to actually you've almost got to not not take no for an answer until somebody does say yes and that's such a skill and such a confidence kind of in yourself and again I think that's what a lot of people are kind of lacking and I don't know whether that's because people think this will be easy and then as soon as it's not, they stop. Yes. Um, or, or whether it's because people know it's hard and they don't want to face failure. But, yeah, I think uh, it's definitely a skill of any racing driver would be that you have to just be relentless. Mm-hmm. And tenacious, I always use that word. I always yeah. try to use that word for myself. Uh, there's, uh, and there's so many great examples. One of my favourite was, was um, do you know Errol Bamber, the Porsche driver? Yeah, Kiwi. He, um, you know, it's he. I'm sure you see this all the time. You know, guys are just blistering in single seaters and then run out of money. And then he moved over. He moved away from home and he moved to Malaysia. And he met a guy there uh, who he was coaching at Supang. And uh, he says, "Oh, what are you trying to do?" He says, "Oh, well, I want to be a pro driver." And he says, "Well, I've got a nine. I've got a nine eleven Cup car with two seats. Take me out and show me what you can do." And of course, he went and put this thing absolutely on the door handles and he's like okay I think I need to help you and they went and got this second hand car it was like three four years old and entered Carrera Cup Asia and two years later he, he wins Le Mans outright yeah you know it's just, yeah. just by never giving up really I, I, think, I think again that that kind of networking and that kind of speaking to people is an often overlooked thing by drivers because I, I often say that 
you know, it, it doesn't matter if you're fast and money is more important, but if you're fast and you can meet the right people with money, that's going to get you, you know, in, in the seat of your dreams because uh, typically, let's say, gentleman drivers, which I hate that, I hate that term, but, you know, the, the typical driver of someone who has a lot of money and they want to spend it and they want to win things, that's the, they are the kind of people that want to pair up with really, really fast drivers. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's often how fast drivers with, with no sponsorship or only a little bit of sponsorship are able to get in, you know, huge kind of championship winning cars and big series. And you're only going to ever find those opportunities if you're out there networking and speaking to people and, and becoming known for being quick and, you know, standing out in some way. Yeah, yeah. No, I, 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 I can, I completely, completely agree with you. Not being, not being afraid to to ask the question. Yeah, absolutely. As well. Now, one la- one last question. I always ask all of my guests this because everybody has that. It's one of these sort of down the pub dream scenario questions. If you could enter any race in any car and any teammate, which would you? Who would you choose for those? Ooh. So it it would definitely be a Porsche. Okay. Um, oh, which one now? It's got which 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 Porsche? Um, I don't know. You know, I haven't actually ever thought about this. Um, because I've resigned myself to you know being uh, on the sidelines as a, <laughs> a as a you know a helper of race drivers. Actually, you know what I would do? I would get a Porsche nine two four. Okay. And I would enter one of the endurance series, like Club Enduro or something like that. Uh-huh. Um, and I would, I, I would have like a, an all-female team. So I'd probably, you know, have, I don't know, who would need to be in the team with me? Someone like Jamie Chadwick, because we know that she's really fast. Um, Sarah Moore, actually. I really like her. Um, so yeah, it would it would definitely be a Porsche. It would definitely be endurance, and it would be all female. That's the best I could do. <laughs> I I don't think that's impossible. I, I think I no, think we're gonna make that is. happen. I, yeah, that's, that's that sounds a lot more believable than most of the answers I get. <laughs> yeah, that. see, I'm not I'm not one for like I look, because I don't race. I know that if you know if you were to put me in you know a nine eleven or something like that, I would just be rubbish. Whereas I might actually have a chance in, you know, a, a slightly lower series of just right, pedal it round, don't crash it, and then the fast driver can come and do the hard work. <laughs> I think is is that not what any um, like you say the uh, let's let's not say gentleman driver, but the uh, uh, paying amateur driver, that's normally what they do. Go do the minimum time and say right off you go. You go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Get the, yeah. I, I'm get a championship winning race driver. Yeah. Yeah. But do, do you know what though? As 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 you know, you know. I think that is one of the. I mean, I love I love all all categories of motor racing, but sports car racing in particular. I think it's such a you know a lot of times when I, I was <laughs> this is <laughs> it was last year I was at a, a party and it was the day of the Le Mans twenty four hours and I somehow managed to negotiate for it to get put on the TV. Um, no. If it was a game of football, it would would be quite a straightforward discussion of course but with something as geeky as that so anyway we got Le Mans up and people were saying oh what's what's going on here and I said well actually these cars the one with the orange plate on the side of them he says that could be an amateur in there he says so this is like the one of the biggest races in the world but that car is shared between pros and amateurs and it's the and that car would not be there if it weren't for the amateur because the amateur is the one paying the bill basically and yeah it's one of the only sports where you can do that at the very highest level that you can't throw a touchdown pass at the Super Bowl or kick a mm. penalty at the FA Cup, but you can win Le Mans. I mean, how how cool is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. And I, you know, as much as we kind of complain about money in motorsport, it is, it, it is so accessible because of that. And yes, you have to have a lot of money to be able to pay your way into, you know, an amazing race series or event like Le Mans. But um, the fact that you can just do that is really cool. I totally agree. Because you couldn't buy your way into any other sports team in the world. No, no way. Um, I think that's that is what, and actually that is kind of what the sport was founded on. You think even at the very highest level, it was, you know, you think about like the Bentley boys back in the nineteen twenties, and they would win and Ooh. then drive the car up to Paris and then have a big dinner. Yeah, and, you know, it's, yeah. That's, it's part of the. It's a glamorous sport as well. 
um, yeah. uh, at, at, at times, I think, which which, which helps as well. Well, yeah. Jess, I thank you so much um, for coming on the show and having a chat. Um, it's been a pleasure to, to chat to you. Now, if people want to, to follow you on social media and in your projects, tell us how, how they can do that. So all of my racing mental stuff, I'm easy to find. I am at racing mental on Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter. Um, people can also find my personal account on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Jet L Bomb, um, and there's lots more kind of more general car chats on there as well as the motorsport stuff as well. Perfect. And you have a new and lastly, you have a new blog coming out just at the at the, uh, at the at the moment. The first couple of pieces have come out of that called Behind the Wheel. That's 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 on on the go now as well, isn't it? Yeah, and I'm very excited to have you be my my third my third story that's going out um, tomorrow Tuesday. Um, so yeah, I, I just so this year I was supposed to revive my YouTube channel. So I used to have a, just a, an automotive kind of car review uh, YouTube channel, but I never really had any real direction, so I stopped it. Um, but this year I wanted to revive it, but I just can't because of you know everything that's going on and being locked down and not having a car. Um, so I decided to, to do it as a, as, a, as a written blog and newsletter on Substack for tech people who, who, um, who like the latest tech. I thought uh, I'd use this cool thing, Substack. Um, so yeah, I've just been interviewing cool car people and just talking about you know the best driving roads and, and nice cars and things. And it's, it's just been really fun to kind of get back to that and have those conversations. Well, I, I hope um, I, I, I said you've had really interesting car people, and then you've got me. So hopefully, it doesn't switch people off before it's got started. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, I wish you all the best with with all your your future endeavours, and looking forward to seeing the next uh, editions of your books as well. Thank you very much. Excellent. We'll speak to you soon. Speak soon, Peter. Thanks, Thank yes. you. Bye. Bye.